ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast, coming to you after a little mini hiatus. And the reason for the hiatus is because I had an extremely hectic week that kicked off on Monday. I had driven down to Allentown, which is about an hour away from where I live. And of course, this does not happen when I'm two miles down the road at the grocery store. I was over an hour away from the house. But I had driven down to pick up a piece of furniture. We'd ordered my son a new bed. And the warehouse that it got delivered to was not, obviously not close to where I lived. It was in Allentown. I had driven down to pick up that mattress and box springs. And as I was leaving town, I thought, you know, there's really not much on the way back home. As far as restaurants go, there's a couple of McDonald's. But I have kids, so I'm forced to eat McDonald's every once in a while. But I really don't like their food. And I thought, well, before I get out of town, let me stop and grab a bite to eat somewhere that I'd much rather actually have some food from. So I got off of the interstate and I was sitting at a red light and a message popped up on my dashboard that said oil is low. I thought that's strange. I haven't noticed any drips in the driveway or anything where I might be losing some oil. So I I pulled in. It it happened that where I was turning to go to an Arby's, there was a McDonald's or not a McDonald's, a, uh, a Walmart there. So I pulled into the Walmart parking lot, I got out of my truck, and I walked around to the front, and I was looking, and I was like, I wouldn't classify that as a drip, that is a puddle of oil there. So I got some oil at the Walmart, I purchased four or five quarts, I topped off the engine, and I drove home, I stopped twice on the way home to check the oil level and top it back off, and my truck was belching oil like a 1976 Vega. And again, that is exactly what you want to see when you're an hour out of town. But when I got home, I got to looking. Actually, I didn't do much that afternoon because it was almost dark and there was rain threatening. I got the mattress and box springs out of my truck. And on Tuesday, I got under there and I took the skid plate off and I got to looking and there wasn't any oil on the engine. So I thought, well, okay, that's a good thing. That leaves just the hoses running to the oil cooler. Most modern cars have an oil cooler, and you will have two hoses, one leading to the oil cooler from the engine and one running back. On my truck, the way it is set up, it's not a hose, which would probably be a little bit better set up in this situation. But the two ends of the hose, the hose itself is about six foot long. There's two of them again. Uh, And about a foot and a half on each end isn't hose. It's uh, steel, and it's the fittings that run into the into the oil cooler and into the engine bay. But the two that are down at the bottom where the oil cooler is are protected by the skid plate, which is a good design. Apparently, road salt will get in there, and then the skid plate prevents that from getting washed off when you drive in the rain through the summer, which is a bad design. Because those had corroded, they looked like they were 20 years old. Now, my truck is seven years old. Now, I'm not complaining. I mean, it's seven years old, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to expect to see some wear and tear and just things wearing out and need to be changed. I kind of feel like that putting something that's susceptible to road salt underneath a skid plate so that when you're just driving in the rain, there's no water hitting it. They should know that that's going to corrode. Uh, That's not really my complaint. My complaint comes into getting those hoses on and off. Now, I don't mean to sound like I'm suggesting that anybody should be subject to violence, but I am going to say that there is a special place in hell for design engineers, particularly people that are design engineers in the automotive industry, because I don't know what you people are thinking uh, beyond the fact that 
you know you're not ever going to have to work on these half-baked designs that you send out the door. And I also understand that the automotive factory's main concern when it comes to design is not the ease which with somebody is going to do repairs. Their main focus is get that vehicle put together as efficiently and as cheaply as possible. But like I said, there are two hoses on that vehicle. Now, only one was leaking, but they were both really corroded, so I went ahead and changed both of them while I was under there. There was one fitting that you had the tiniest little hole to get your hand down into the engine compartment to work on this one particular fitting. Now, once you had your hand in that hole, you couldn't see what you were doing because your hand was in the way. And around the fitting, there was maybe a half inch of clearance. Now, that fitting is just a steel fitting, and there is a flare in the metal about a half inch from the end. This slides into the coupler, and then there was a little spring clip that would go on, and that would fit around the pipe behind that flange and keep it from sliding out of the connection. The spring clip is about an inch and a half in diameter. You have got about a half inch of room around that coupling in which you need to get that spring clip on. Now, I had four connections that I had to worry about. Now, the two on the bottom, obviously, if you slide up under the car, they're three inches from your face and there's nothing around them. I was not concerned with those. The third one that is up on top of the engine that was not in a perfect position, but it wasn't in a horrible position. But that bottom one that you couldn't get to, I knew that one was going to be a bitch. So I focused on that one first. I spent two hours draped across the engine bay of my truck, just trial and error, trying to figure out how to get that clip on. I had my son out, out there helping me. I thought, well, he's got smaller hands than me. He may be able to get it. Eventually, I don't even know how I got it on, but it just, it it's like it decided that it had tortured me enough and it went into p- position. But I spent two hours on one fitting. The other three, I got finished in 20 minutes for all of them. And I need to give a shout out. Um, I don't remember who gave these to me. I think it was my sister and brother-in-law for Christmas. I, I could be wrong about that. But one year, I got a gift that it was just sort of a, a grab bag from Harbor Freight, little bits and bobs, you, just sort of unusual things that you probably don't ever really go to a hardware store looking for. But one of the things in that box was a set of hemostats that's about a foot and a half long. And if I did not have those in my toolbox, I would probably still be out there trying to get that fitting on. Those long hemostats where I was able to clip it on to the spring clip to where it was held in place and I wasn't trying to get my hand down in there and keep pressure on a pair of pliers. That was a lifesaver. And like I say, if I did not have those, I would probably still be out there on that truck teaching my son some new profane words that he could use in high school. But like I say, that was completely precipitated by very poor design that was crapped out by people that don't care whether their designs work or not. And it's unbelievable that the vehicle The modern vehicle, the modern manufacturing, obviously it was the early 1800s. People started making automobiles, but these were like one guy making one in his shed and he was able to put one together every nine months. But just modern manufacturing vehicles has been around for about a hundred years at this point. Why have we not figured this stuff out yet? And when you, if you ever have a job where you're working on cars, you will see cars that when they come through the door, you're like, I don't want to work on that. And then you have other vehicles where everything's laid out pretty logically. 
Even something as simple as an air filter. Early 2000s Fords, the air filter was a barrel shape. And you had this big round housing in the hood that opened up like a clamshell in the center of this barrel. Now, getting the two halves apart was fairly simple. Getting the filter out and putting the new one in was fairly simple. But when you tried to get everything to line back up so that you could get the two halves of that barrel back together correctly so that you could get the retaining band back in position and tightened up to hold everything, it was a nightmare. Now, you've got a vehicle like that, and then you've got another vehicle. I'm wanting to say they were Isuzu's. It's been a long time since I did that type of work. I could be remembering the wrong car, but I'm going to say Isuzu pickup trucks. When you put a filter in one of those, most cars now, the filter is rectangular. They're about like a sheet of paper. Think of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And if you set one on the table, they're maybe three inches thick. The air filter on an Isuzu pickup truck sat vertically right at the front of the engine compartment. The top had one little clip on it and it was hinged. So you popped that clip loose. You flipped the top up like you were opening a shoebox. You pulled the filter straight up out of that housing. You slid the new one down. It just went straight in like you were putting a, uh, like a video game cartridge into an old video game system. You closed the lid back up and clipped it shut. You could change the air filter in that vehicle. It literally took less than 10 seconds versus an F-150 where you would be struggling and cursing for probably 10 minutes just trying to get the thing back in the position it needed to be in. I don't understand why these car companies, I understand they're in competition with each other, but if there is a good design versus a poor design, why do you go with the poor design? You know, all these companies have something they do good, except for Chrysler. Everything on a Chrysler is a nightmare, and those people need to be shot in the back parking lot first thing tomorrow morning. But there are good designs, good designs that work. Why won't they adopt this stuff? And everybody thinks, well, you know, they're trying to force you to go back to the dealership to get the work done. The mechanics at the dealerships don't want to work on that crap either. Trust me, I have worked at dealerships for many years. They hate that stuff as much as the shade tree mechanics do when they're trying to do stuff in their driveway. It's a ridiculous way to run a business. There's a much simpler, much better way to do things, and they simply will not do it. And, you know, Ford and GM products, you'll still see rust on those vehicles, Now, they have gotten better. It doesn't happen immediately. You've got to have a car 10 or 12 years before that'll start. But then you look at Toyota. People will have Toyotas for 30 years, and you won't find a speck of rust anywhere on that car. Now, again, I understand they're competitors. Why can't Ford and GM talk to Toyota and say, hey, listen, you know, we're not trying to steal your trade secrets, but can we send some people over, some engineers and some chemists, and see what you're doing, how you're treating the metal that you're putting in your vehicle, so that maybe we can get it to where our vehicles don't start rusting after 12 years. It would be a win-win for the consumer. It would save the company's money in the long run. I don't understand why these corporations won't take that approach. It it swears it seems like they don't care that they're putting out junk, even though in the long run that really hurts them. And I know that I'm not in charge of Ford and GM, but by God, I'm starting to think that I should be because I can do a better job than all these idiots. Maybe I won't do a better job, but I'll certainly have a more pragmatic approach to putting vehicles on the road. And wow, I really did not expect to talk about that for 13 minutes, but here we are. So I've got one more little thing I want to touch on. This actually deals with something that Joe Biden said. 
I don't know the date on this. It could have been a week ago. It might have been a month ago, but I did not see the date. I just saw a clip of this press conference. Um, someone had asked him how he w- how his administration was going to help farmers in the U.S., how he was going to help them keep their farms afloat and be able to make money even with all the inflation and issues with the economy right now. One of the things that he said was that they were going to pay farmers to plant crops that absorb CO2 out of the atmosphere. I am well aware that Joe Biden is a politician, not a biologist, but that's every crop, Joe. That is every plant. Every plant that uses photosynthesis to produce food for itself absorbs carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Now, again, he is a politician. He's the president. He does not have to be a biologist to be president. He does not have to understand how photosynthesis works to be president. But I feel like he should understand some basics of science and biology, considering that he is going to be signing treaties and instituting policies on climate change. And he has no idea what anything to do with carbon dioxide levels means. Normally, I wouldn't care too much because most of the people that are always ranting about climate change, they don't understand anything about science either. But I'm just curious, what plants are they going to choose to pay farmers to plant? And why are they going to choose those particular plants? Because when the government gets involved with things and they don't understand what they're doing, you know, it seems like every once in a while it would make things better just, I mean, just by sheer dumb luck, you would think that they would hit on things that the unintended consequences of that decision turn out to be a good thing. That's never how it works out. They always make things so much worse. It almost has to be intentional at this point because they would, you know, just, I mean, if you're throwing darts at a dartboard blindfolded every once in a while, you're going to get a bullseye. It's just, you know, the law of probability would say that every once in a while you're going to hit the bullseye. They always miss the bullseye. And it, like I say, it has to be intentional. So I want to know what the criteria that they're going to use to choose what crops they're going to pay farmers to plant. Because there are a lot of tobacco farmers where I'm from. I guarantee you they're not going to pay anybody extra money just to put tobacco plants in the ground, even though a tobacco plant is going to absorb just as much carbon dioxide as corn or soybeans or rapeseed. And the very fact that he said that he's going to pay them to plant crops that absorb CO2 means that He thinks, or people in his administration think, that there are plants that don't use carbon dioxide, which makes it a little scary that they're deciding policy. And of course, there's going to be people that, well, you're not a biologist. You don't know. Well, no, I'm not a biologist. I am not a scientist. But I'll tell you what I am. I'm intelligent enough to remember what my science teacher told me in high school. And photosynthesis is the process by which a plant uses energy from the sun to break the covalent bonds on a molecule of CO2, it uses the carbon to produce glucose and cellulose, and it releases the oxygen as a waste gas. And another pet peeve of mine is you'll hear a lot of times they'll say that, you know, plants, well, they they store the CO2, but when they die, they release it. That's, That's just simply a lie. That is not a scientific fact. I don't know who thought that that would be a good idea to start peddling that garbage. If they were storing CO2... Trees would be a mile thick by the end of their lifetime. The average tree uses 48 pounds 
of carbon dioxide every single year. Now, can you imagine how much carbon dioxide it takes to make a pound? It's a gas. How much do you need just to make a pound of material when you're talking about a gas? And then you take into the fact trees can live a couple hundred years. That tree would have to be the size of the Superdome to store 150 years worth of carbon dioxide. That's not how trees work. They don't store carbon dioxide. They use it. They use it to fuel their cellular respiration. It's the exact same way we use oxygen to fuel our cellular respiration. We're not storing oxygen in our bodies. We use it. And it's the exact same way with plants. They're not storing the carbon dioxide because the carbon dioxide does not exist once they've used it. They have harvested the carbon and released the oxygen. They don't have the molecular makeup of the carbon dioxide left to store it. It's been broken apart, and they're using the carbon and releasing the oxygen. And again, that is every green plant that takes care or uses photosynthesis. Every plant on the planet is using carbon dioxide. They're absorbing carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Every tree in your backyard, every bush that's in the landscaping around your house, every blade of grass in your yard, every weed, every flower, every vine, every potted plant, every green leafy plant that you have ever seen, including the algae in your neighbor's pool that they don't take care of or the farm pond that you drive by on the way to work. All of those things are constantly taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Now, they'll tell you that the carbon dioxide, it's never been this high. It's, you know, it's a record level for, no, it's not. That is, in the time that we have had the instruments to actually measure the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which is about the last hundred years, and maybe even a little bit less. Historically, carbon dioxide levels have been much, much higher in the atmosphere. And I don't mean back when the Earth was just a ball of lava that had just formed out of the dust of the solar system. I'm talking about in the time that life has existed on planet Earth, carbon dioxide has always been much higher than what it is now. It did not kill all the plants. It did not kill all the animals. In fact, in warmer periods, when you have more carbon dioxide, the planet can support more biomass than it can right now. We are at historic lows as far as the level of carbon dioxide. People that are trying to make money off the climate crisis will always say that, you know, oh, it's 412 parts per million. That's a record. It's never been that high. It's never been that high in the time that humans can measure that. That is a blink of an eye, geologically speaking, and if you look at the carbon dioxide level on this planet for the last 500 million years, carbon dioxide levels right now are lower than they have ever been in that time period. You go all the way back past the dinosaurs, back to the Carboniferous period when it was just fish in the ocean and insects on the land and no more complicated animals were had evolved yet. We are at a lower level right now than we have been at any time through all of that history of the earth. I know that if they told you this, it wouldn't scare you so you wouldn't root for the government to give billions of dollars to the UN climate change group, whatever the hell the name is. But it's a farce. And it's propagated by people that they don't understand what they're looking at. They always give 
carbon dioxide levels in parts per million. You know, it was always around 390. When I was a kid, now they're saying it's up to 412. 400 parts per million, if you put that into a percentage of the atmosphere, it's 0.04 of 1%. It's four one-hundredths of 1% of the atmosphere. Carbon dioxide is a trace gas. And that is a ridiculously low amount of anything in the, in the atmosphere. I mean, that much is not going to hurt anything. In fact, that is dangerously close to wiping out life on Earth because it's so low. I have heard people when asked what they would like the CO2 outputs to get down to. And I've heard people say, and this wasn't exactly what the question was, but their answer is, I want to see the level of carbon dioxide go to zero in our atmosphere. God bless these little ignorant pricks, but that would kill us. I know they have no concept of how anything works, and they're just getting led around by their nose. But if the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere was at zero, all the plants on the, on the planet would die. All the algae in the ocean, anything that used photosynthesis, anything that used anaerobic cellular respiration would die. And once all the plants die, well, that means that all the goats and cows and all the animals that we rely on as food sources, they would die. And then we would follow very shortly after. Carbon dioxide is necessary for the planet to survive. And again, we are at historic low levels. I don't expect Joe Biden to know all of those things. But shouldn't one of his advisors have a little bit of an inkling on how life on this planet survives and gets along? And ladies and gentlemen, I have ranted about this enough. Um, I apologize for missing Monday's show and getting this one to you a day late. I thank you for sitting with me. I hope you enjoyed listening to me run my mouth. These are two things that I feel very strongly about. Uh, the automotive thing, because I do as much work on my own vehicles as I possibly can, and I have to deal with that garbage on, on a pretty regular basis. And the environmental thing has just always been a little bit of a burr under my saddle. But I would like to say thank you for listening to me run my mouth. If you enjoyed today's show, please give it a like, leave a comment. And if you really enjoyed listening to me run my mouth about it, please consider subscribing to the show. If you'd like to leave me a comment, you can do so at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com or on the Fresh Frozen Southerner Facebook page. All right, guys. I hope you have a good weekend. I know it's halfway through, uh, but happy Saturday anyway, and I will talk to you again on Monday. Thank you very much, and have a good night.